At the end of World War II, 1945, the Soviet Union, under the dictator Joseph Stalin, occupied the countries of Central Europe. This included the nation of Hungary, Joe's country. The 1956 Hungarian Revolution was one of the first cracks in the Soviet Union control over Eastern Europe. Joe Fabre and they called them freedom fighters, they left because they revolted and fought for their freedom. They left because they would be killed when the Russians recaptured the country. The freedom fighters of 1956 did not die in vain. This is Hungary calling. The last remaining station. Call to the United Nations. Early this morning, the Soviet troops launched a general attack on Hungary. We are requesting you to send us immediate aid in the form of parachute troops over the Trans-Danubian provinces. It is possible that our broadcast will soon come to the same fate as the other Hungarian broadcasting states. For the sake of God and freedom, help Hungary! This is the free radio of the Dunapentelli National Committee, broadcasting on the 36-meter shortwave band. Appeal, workers of Dunapentelli, brother Hungarians. In this critical hour, we make a historical declaration. Trampling on the Warsaw Pact, the Russian hordes have launched a perfidious attack against Budapest and several other cities in the country. The battle is on. Hungarian soldiers are fighting as one man against the invaders. This is the Association of Hungarian Writers speaking. To all writers, scientists, and all writers' associations, academies, scientific unions of the world, we turn to the leaders of intellectual life in all countries. Our time is limited. You all know the facts. There is no need to expand on them. Help Hungary. Help the Hungarian writers, scientists, workers, peasants, and intelligentsia. Help, help, help. But this is the last broadcast from this station. It was made in English during extremely heavy jamming, extremely heavy jamming, and in the middle of a sentence, the station was blown off the air. And you can hear the gunfire right at the conclusion. And in the end, the gunfire drowns the announcer's voice and the station completely is blown right out of action. The name of the book is The Joe Fabre Story, and it's about the Hungarian Revolution of 1956 from personal experience. Joe was a uh, teenager at the time, and uh, this is very relevant to today's situations where oppressive governments are harassing and making life miserable for the uh, common people. And this was what happened when the common people, the Hungarian people, revolted in 1956. And Joe was in the middle of this. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. sitting in Greersburg Academy in Darlington, Pennsylvania, talking with Jay Paisley, who has written yet another fascinating book about a local character, this time not the Civil War era, but an era 
reminiscent of today. We're talking about the 50s, which actually has implications with what is going on today. And all this will make sense as we get into talk about the Joe Fabry story. Jay, welcome to the podcast again. I'm glad to be here, Kevin. This is uh, the third podcast I think uh, we've done together Mm -hmm. and always a joy to have you on here and with interesting stories. You have a new book and what is uh, your book about? The name of the book is The Joe Fabre Story and it's about the Hungarian Revolution of 1956 from personal experience. His story is uh, fascinating. I got it from many interviews with Joe at a local restaurant, or at least 15, 20 interviews, several hours at a time, and I had massive amounts of notes that I took, and I had to distill it to get the the essence. This book doesn't have any fluff. Every page is uh, dedicated to making an important point. I was approached to write this book by Joe's wife, and uh, she had uh, enjoyed on one of my previous books, The Huffman Letters, and she said uh, we were working out in a local gym in Chippewa, and she came up to me and said, Jay, um, we, we loved your book about this young person who became a, a Civil War soldier, a local fella, but you know what? My husband has an interesting story, and I was familiar with Joe. Socially, we went to several parties, uh, you know, Christmas parties and so forth, and I taught and coached at Blackhawk High School, and he was involved in coaching some of the sports. It was um, soccer and wrestling. So I was familiar with Joe and his wife, Peggy, but I didn't realize the unique story that he had. So she asked me to uh, talk to her husband, and perhaps I would want to write a book of his story. And so I said, sure. So we got together. Actually, he only lives about two miles from me. So we got together at the local restaurant, and I'm very privileged to be able to uh, present the public the Joe Fabre story. I think it's just so fascinating that you, you put together this book uh, sitting over coffee. Exactly. And, uh, the breakfast, I presume, and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which is a great model for other people. So if people think they can't, they don't have the time to write a book about their neighbors or their family members or so forth. Hey, there's always a cup of coffee that you can you can have while you're talking to and, somebody. And I think it's very important to have uh, a very uh, casual relationship. I mean, it was, uh, as he as he talked, he was remembering these things and they popped into his mind and, and we just had an open forum. For example, we started off with his his early life when he was he was born in in uh, 1937 so as a young kid 3 4 years old he experienced world war 2 so i had that part of the book uh, his beginning and then the m- middle of the book is about his teenage years i mean it blew my mind i knew he was a good athlete but he was the number 1 ranked wrestler in his hungarian country and he would have gone to the olympics in fact currently if you go to budapest joe fabre's picture is still in the uh, Hungarian Sports Hall of Fame. So this guy was the real deal. And uh, he gave all that up because when he took part in the revolution, when the Russians, uh, it was the Soviet Union at the time, but still the Russians, they came back and crushed the revolution. He had to get out of the country because they would have killed him. It's in the book, but he ended up in the United States. and, And he just can't say enough about how wonderful he appreciates our country. I think this book should be read by all Americans, especially young people. It just just lays it out there and and shows you that uh, we're not a perfect country. We have a lot of things to work on, but uh, we're we're still a special country that will allow people to profit and and have 
have a, a constructive life rather than what uh, is uh, is happening with these uh, these governments that are suppressive. Here's the deal: in our our country, we believe that the job of government is to serve the people, whereas these other socialist countries, communist countries, they believe that the state is number one and all the people are nothing more than puppets or servants of the state. And that's, a, that's, that's what this uh, revolution is all about. So you sat with Joe. I sat oh, with Joe many for hours. Many, many hours of discussions and uh, we got into, uh, into details that uh, I think are fascinating in the book. I had so much, I had to, you know, scale it back because uh, it's a, it's not a very long book. There's only 67 pages. I could have made 267 pages, but I just wanted to be direct. I wanted to accomplish what happened in his early years, what happened in his teenage years when he was a, a high-powered wrestler, and then what happened after he came to America and why he appreciates the country that we live in. And he can give you uh, examples of what it's like to be living under socialism, communism, tyranny. They would encourage you to even report your parents if they weren't towing the line, and that's a, a different world. So uh, by reading this book, I think we will appreciate what we have. I want to ask you, so you're listening to Joe tell his story, mm -hmm. a really remarkable story. You know, he fled the country, came to America. But as you're listening to Joe, leading up to that point, what were some of the things that really struck you? Okay, the power of being brainwashed. For example, I'll jump a little bit ahead. He had a cousin. They were like brothers, even though they were cousins. They were friends when they were seven, eight, nine years old. And as they developed, Joe went to work in the steel mill and was an apprentice and was a, a wrestler and an athlete. His cousin drifted into the Communist Party and was a, was a soldier. Uh, jumping ahead, about 10 years after he was in the United States, he came back to his, his home country, Hungary, and it was still under communist control. But he and his uh, wife, and I believe his oldest daughter was like five or six at the time. So they came back and were welcomed as, uh, you know, as heroes or whatever. And he was uh, in a neighboring village and they were having a, a dinner for him in his honor and his cousin was sitting by him. Remember, they were like brothers when they were eight, nine, ten years old. And so in the in the middle of the dinner, his cousin leaned over to him and said, you know, Joe, uh, I was in the army and when the revolution came, they told me to arrest you. And if I would have caught you, I'd have killed you. And he was just stunned. They were like brothers. So he just left the dinner, got in his car, went back to his original village and went home. Uh, several years later, a second visit, they're in uh, another group of uh, having dinner and the cousin was there again and he apologized to Joe. He said, I'm so sorry. I, I realized that communism is bad for Hungary and, and, and I, I'm sorry that, that I feel this way. Uh, Please forgive me. And that just goes to show you how powerful brainwashing can do. Now, the reason that one of the reasons that Joe was immune from it was because he was raised, his mother and father were very religious, and he was brought up to serve God, not the state. And so, even though he was a high powered wrestler, 
when the communist uh, coaches would try to brainwash them, indoctrinate them to buy into socialism, he rejected it. In fact, he used to annoy his coaches because he would speak out against communism. And because he was such a tremendous wrestler, they put up with it. But uh, that's one of the things that really impressed me, how, how powerful the state can be and turn close friends and relatives against one another. So that's, that, that was one of the things that stuck in my mind. Another thing that impressed me that shows you the courage that the Fabre family had, in World War II, Hungary was aligned with the, the uh, Nazis, the Germans. And so when the war started, uh, now Joe was like three or four years old at the time, old enough to know what was going on, but, you know, very young. The Hungarian soldiers were billeted. They were stationed. They were put in, in the Fabre house to, to hold them up while they were getting ready. Eventually, they'd go with the Germans and invade Russia. And so they had these uh, soldiers that were billeted, and then they were replaced by Nazi soldiers, German soldiers, staying in, in the Fabre house. Now, Joe's father worked in a, local, a neighboring steel mill about 15 miles away from their home village. And while he was at the working in the mill, he became friends with some Jewish merchants. And when they started to round up the Jews and send them to concentration camps, Joe's father had two of these Jewish people hiding in his house. We have pictures of his house. It's a fairly large house, but the point is they had some German soldiers in part of the house and they had two Jewish people in another room. And Joe's father told the neighbors that they were relatives. And Joe relates the story that some of the neighbors were suspicious and told the German soldiers, you better check these guys out. And so Joe's father told the two Jewish guys that they were going to get caught. So Joe said they left in the middle of the night, and to this day he doesn't know what happened to them. But had they been caught harboring Jewish people, Joe and his whole family would have been to the concentration camps. But again, that shows you the integrity of the Fabre family, that this was serious stuff. For example, he said after the war progressed, the Russians pushed the uh, Hungarian and, and the uh, Germans back away from Hungary, and, and, the, and the Russians occupied his village. And Joe mentioned that he said the Germans were bad, but the Russians were even worse. Some of the women had to hide in chicken coops because they were raping the women. And to this day, they, when Joe was like five or six years old, they had a, the townspeople were forced to be in the middle of the square. And there were two Hungarian men that had been captured in Russia and were returned back to the village. And to this, again, he doesn't know why, but in front of Joe and the village, the, uh, the, the, the Russians shot these guys, right, and executed them. So Joe had uh, a real experience that our American youth are clueless about how vicious and mean people could be. But those are some of the stories of uh, the early stories of uh, World War II when he was a young guy and, and they had bomb shelters and they used to have to stay in the shelters because they didn't know if... Uh, uh, they didn't know if they were German or Russian planes, but they were potentially bombed and killed, just like currently what's ha happening in the Ukraine. With the, that's why I think you can see the uh, similarities between what's happening now and what Joe experienced in 1940s. The more it changes, the more it stays the same, it seems. What a world of turmoil he was mm -hmm. um, 
born into in the 30s, late 30s, and mm-hmm. uh, all the way up through the 50s with the transition over to the communist takeover of Hungary. Now, as you were talking to Joe, what was his reaction as he was pulling up these stories? Was he moved by these yes. memories? Yes. I think it was a cathartic situation where he was able to get this off his chest, and, and uh, I was very... Uh, interested and in, in, uh, supportive of what he was saying. And he could tell that uh, he wants to get his story out because he has a, a great admiration for our country. For example, he says, the most important things, God, country, and family. And you have to remember, the communists, socialists, are atheistic. They weren't, he told me, they, they weren't that concerned about influencing the older people, but they wanted the young people to... Uh, adhere to the socialist, communist worldview, atheism, and their God is the, the almighty state. But uh, Joe was very um, interesting to talk to. He's in his 80s, but he's sharp as a tack. He remembered a lot of stuff. and He could pull up the details. He could pull, and, and then his friend Andy joined us in several of the, uh, of the conversations, and we got his perspective. This and is Andy Choman. Andy Choman, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Were there things that he really didn't want to talk about? No, actually, he was very open about it. Uh, I didn't have to uh, prod him or, you know, he was, he was very forthright. I can see that he was speaking from his heart and he was, he was very consistent. And I, would, I, I feel that we're getting the actual reality, not propaganda. And I think that's what Again, what makes this book uh, so important. Uh, This book exposes the evils of socialism in the subtitle, Proud to be an American. America is not perfect. However, upon learning of Joe Fabre's life, it's obvious the major reason for the United States being such an exceptional country is that we are a nation, and this is very current, we are a nation of legal immigration. Joe was brought to the United States. They vetted him. They checked him out. He, he had to learn English. He had to be educated and know basically the, uh, how the government works in the United States. They even checked his health. And here's, a, here's, a, here's an important uh, thing to consider. Joe Fabre, and they called them freedom fighters, they left because they revolted and fought for their freedom. They left because they would be killed when the Russians recaptured the, the country, took, took it back over. They had over 100, sound familiar, over 100,000 troops and hundreds of tanks came in and crushed the revolution after a while. They had about two weeks of freedom. So the people that left, their native Hungary, they, they left because they stuck their necks out and revolted. They didn't leave because they just wanted to come to the United States and get welfare and so forth. There's obviously poor people all over the world, but these people, they took a shot at freedom, and then they came to the United States, and they were vetted and and checked out. They had to have a sponsor, for example. They worked, and they were proud to be an American. What was Joe's reaction when he arrived to America? First of all, when the revolution came, he... uh, took part in the revolution. He was given a pistol and he went with his uncle and they were looking for Russian collaborators. And uh, it's a good thing they didn't catch any because they would have, they would have executed them. I mean, this was serious stuff. 
When the revolution came, Joe was working uh, in, a, in a steel mill, the same mill that his father had worked in a neighboring village. He, he didn't realize the revolution had taken place, so he was going to go to work, and he, he, he goes to the gate, and he sees these uh, people hung up on a tree that the, a butcher had cut their throats. And what happened was these were communist collaborators. They were forced out of the steel mill, and they hid in a, in a local school, and they shot into the crowd and, and killed or injured some of the people. And so they, the people were enraged, and they caught these collaborators and strung them up. So when Joe came to work, he sees this, and he knows this is serious stuff. So uh, he took part in the, in, the, in the revolution. But then when the, uh, the Russians came back, uh, at the time, the world was consumed by the Suez crisis. And as a result, the United States and Western countries didn't intervene as much as they should have. And so the Russians were able to counterattack and reclaim the country. It's interesting, in the middle of the book, he told me in great detail of how they had to go from village to village. They could have gone to Austria or they could have gone to uh, Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia was still under communist control, so they went to Austria. But it took them um, a couple weeks of hiding and in the daytime and sneaking around and at nighttime to go from village to village. There were soldiers, Russian soldiers with machine guns that were on the street corners. If they would have been caught, they probably would have been executed on the on the spot. But in the beginning, Joe thought they would go to Switzerland and then come back to Hungary when the things calmed down because he was still thinking about participating in the Olympics. He was the top-ranked wrestler in his country, so he would have had a shot at a gold medal. But one of his uh, teammates, we have it in the book, he stayed. He took part in the revolution, but he, unlike Joe and Andy and, and another Andy, got out of the country. This fellow stayed, and when the Russians came back, they captured him and they hung him. I mean, we're talking about life and death here. It's not just a little inconvenience and, uh, oh, well, we'll, it's no big deal. It's a very big deal. Sure. I like how in the book you included heartfelt tributes from Joe's mm -hmm. daughters. Mm -hmm. Three daughters. Mm -hmm. His three daughters. I thought that was moving. And Why did you include those? I wanted to get a different perspective. We have... There's a story uh, from uh, Jeff Flick, one of the one of the a Black Hawk graduate that uh, uh, was familiar with Joe. This fellow uh, has an insight into how Joe affected him, and his wife Peggy has uh, stories of how they met and so forth. And I'll tell you what, to be honest with you, I'm the father of three daughters, and when I'm reading how his daughters are just telling how wonderful it is. It, it, it really, uh, it's an emotional thing to read about their, their testimonies. And each of the daughters has the same general story, but a little bit different insight. And I, th I think that's a, a very important part of the book to get an insight into really what Joe Fabre is all about. And, and, then there's, uh, and then there's Andy's, his friend Andy's experience of the same revolution so you get a, a again a slightly different uh, perspective of it and so it's like a time machine it takes you back to the, the revolution right but it's so much more than that your book is it's it certainly chronicles the history mm -hmm. but it also celebrates his life yes 
the letters from his daughter certainly add mm-hmm. to that, that celebration. And I think that's a that's a, a great way that you cap off that story. You know, that this is, um, obviously, it's a, it's a narrative of someone's experience, mm-hmm. but this is really about capturing and celebrating that life here. Now, Joe Fabre, Chippewa Township, came here with his wife, raised a family, mm-hmm. uh, just like so many other people. Yeah. And let me ask you, now you are on the board of the Little Beaver Historical Society. You are involved in local history, Correct. local history author. So you have a sense of this. How many other Joe Fabries are there out there? And should we be gathering their stories as well? Definitely. I forget how many, uh, the number of freedom fighters that became American citizens, it's six figures. It's over 100,000. They all are, they have a similar story. And so there, there are many second and third generations that their parents and grandparents could tell them stories of the, the difference between our country and our government and totalitarian governments, whether it was the Nazis or the Russians. So in our communities around us, you know, here's Joe Fabre and there might be others who have a similar experience, mm-hmm. and freedom fighters and so forth. Do you believe that everybody has a story to tell? Definitely. I think anybody that that is interested in 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 giving the stories of their relatives or the, they themselves should should document it because we don't want to lose that. Well, that's a that's a good note to end on. Thank <laughs> you, Jay Pacey, sure. for another fascinating episode with us here on the podcast. The book is The Joe Fabre Story, and mm-hmm. uh, you certainly, the Huffman Letters is still available to the public, yep. and uh, we encourage everybody to uh, check out both of these books, and we'll put links into the show notes yep. for your books. I'll okay. give you, yeah, I'll give you my email. They can email me, and uh, I can send a book to them, or why they can contact me, and I'll be glad to get them a copy. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. Scenes on the Austro-Hungarian border measure the scope of Hungary's anti-Red revolt. West Hungary is rebel-controlled. From the uniforms of border guards, from the flags, the Red Star has been ripped. The hated symbol of communism is effaced wherever found. As sporadic fighting continues, the Red Regime offers virtual self-rule, and Russian forces begin withdrawals. Shipments of plasma are rushed across the frontier, where once the Iron Curtain barred all friendly contact. Casualties are believed to number thousands after days of fighting, in which patriots with small arms battled Russian tanks and troops. From the United States, more plasma and medical supplies are being airlifted. The human need is clear. But the political outcome hangs in the balance after a revolt that began with student demonstrations and spread across the country like wildfire. At the United Nations, 5,000 denounced the massacre of Hungary's rebels, a grim reminder of the cost of the most telling blow ever struck at Russia's satellite empire. At the end of a six-day fight that astonished the world and shook the Kremlin to its foundations, Hungary was free free to fraternize on its own borders and Russian supplies to the stricken city of Budapest along roads littered with burnt-out red tanks disabled by almost unarmed men fired by passion for liberty. Flaring swiftly from student demonstrations into open revolution, 
the pent-up hatreds of oppression sent Russian might reeling and forced withdrawal of the red yoke. But even as these scenes were recorded, rumors flared of the re-entry of Russian forces and new fighting. The beautiful city of Budapest, scarred by conflict, again faces a Russian onslaught even before the debris of the fight for freedom is cleared from the streets. In startling developments, Hungary broke with the satellite Warsaw Pact military alliance, announced neutrality and pleaded for priority on the United Nations agenda. Then word came that Russian forces were massing and all communication with the West was cut off. Hungary's newfound freedom is menaced before the martyrs of revolution go to their rest.